following episode contains graphic and disturbing situations that may be triggering or too intense for some listeners. unspoken responsibility that falls upon our shoulders. One that transcends generations and societal boundaries. On this episode, I want to talk about safeguarding our world's most precious assets, children. In an age where information flows freely through the internet's vast channels, we must arm our children with knowledge. Knowledge about the existence of dangerous people who may lurk behind a screen, seeking to exploit their innocence. We need to teach them to recognize the red flags, the subtle warning signs, and the manipulative tactics these internet predators employ. We must also discuss openly about the dangers that may exist closer to home. Sometimes, danger hides behind the familiar faces of those we trust. These children need to know that they can confide in us that they won't be judged or silenced when facing troubling situations within their own walls. As parents, guardians, educators, and mentors, it's our solemn duty to create an environment of openness and trust, a place where they can feel safe enough to share their fears, doubts, and concerns. We must educate them about the importance of setting boundaries, both online and off, and also respecting the boundaries of others. Knowledge is our greatest ally. We must educate ourselves first so that we can in turn educate them. We can empower children with the skills to make wise decisions, to harness the vast educational resources available, and to use technology for good. In the end, it's about instilling resilience, wisdom, and courage in children. It's about equipping them to recognize and confront dangers, to speak up when something doesn't feel right, and to seek help when needed. Children are our future, and it's our shared responsibility to ensure that their future is one of safety, knowledge, and limitless potential. Submit your questions and stories to ScreamQueerCast at gmail.com or by submitting them to Instagram at ScreamQueerPodcast and catch new episodes every Tuesday morning wherever podcasts are streamed. Remember to rate and subscribe. Welcome to the Scream Queer Podcast with Ralph Anthony. The following content contains topics describing graphic violence, strong sexual content, explicit language, and elements that may not be suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. February 3rd, 1979. Eight-year-old Victoria de Santiago left her family's Fresno, California home, accompanied by her three-year-old sister, Ava Marie, and their beloved family dog. Their mission? To buy a simple loaf of bread from the local convenience store. However, as they made their purchase, tragedy struck. 
the family dog ran away, prompting the sisters to embark on a search. It was during this desperate search that they encountered a man by the name of Fernando Caro. Fernando, instead of offering help, offered to drive them around in search of their lost pet, a gesture of kindness that would soon turn sinister. He kidnapped both girls and drove away, leading them into a nightmare. Hours later, Fernando released Ava Marie after subjecting her to a horrific ordeal, but Victoria remained his captive. He took her to a desolate field where he then raped and beat her to death. Victoria's battered body was found in a dry creek bed just three days later. The discovery of Victoria's battered body sent shockwaves through the city. The community rallied, with countless residents sending letters of condolences to the grieving de Santiago family. Local establishments established funds to support them during this agonizing time. As the pressure to solve this heinous crime mounted, the Fresno Police Department spared no effort. They hired additional personnel and tirelessly questioned over 292 possible suspects. Yet the elusive perpetrator remained at large. Six months after the murder, Lieutenant Maurice Reagan, a dedicated detective on the case, voiced the challenges they faced. The sole reliable witness, Ava Marie, was just three years old, and gathering useful clues proved elusive. Despite using various investigative techniques, from aerial photography to hypnosis on a number of witnesses, Another investigator, Tim McFadden, believed Victoria's murder might be connected to an unsolved rape of a nine-year-old one month prior, citing eerie similarities. But justice would remain out of reach until the perpetrator could be apprehended. August 20th, 1980 a night that would forever be etched in the history of Fowler, California. 15-year-old Mark Hatcher, a freshman at Fowler High School, and his cousin, Mary Helen Booher, also 15, visiting from Hawthorne, set out on an evening bike ride. At approximately 8.15 p.m., Mark and Mary were pedaling near a serene peach orchard, their laughter cutting through the evening air. Little did they know that their path would soon intersect with a man by the name of Fernando Caro. Fernando, behind the wheel of an unmistakable orange pickup truck, convinced them to pause for a moment. However, his intentions were far from innocent. With chilling swiftness, he pulled out a firearm and without warning, he fired and shot Mark Hatcher, killing him instantly. Following the horrific murder, Carl's malevolent spree continued. He forcibly abducted Mary Booher, shoving her and the bikes they rode into his truck. But fate would soon intervene in this night of terror. Fernando, now driving away from the scene, collided accidentally with another pickup truck in the parking lot of a tavern. Jack Lucchesi, 25 years old, and Richard Rick Donner, 23 years old, the owners of the other vehicle, were alerted by the crash. They bravely ventured outside to investigate, unaware of the danger lurking. Jack and Rick, unaware of Fernando's weapon, confronted him. 
In a surreal twist, they calmly asked him for his insurance information. However, when Carl returned to his truck to retrieve his identification, he seized his gun and unleashed a hail of bullets upon them. Miraculously, despite suffering gunshot wounds, Donner was struck in the thigh and Lucchesi was hit twice in the back. The two men managed to escape, fleeing for their lives as their assailants sped away in his truck. That very night, Fernando's nightmarish journey led him to an orange grove outside of Fresno, California. There, he callously dragged Mary Booher from his vehicle and ruthlessly shot her once in the head. In the wake of the terrifying ordeal, on that August night, Jack Lucchesi and Richard Rick Donner, survivors of the violent encounter with Fernando, found themselves in a hospital where their injuries were tended to. Determined to bring the perpetrator to justice, Lucchesi and Donner courageously offered a partial description of their assailant and his vehicle to the waiting police officers. The city held its breath as the hunt for the unknown assailant intensified. In an effort to extract more vital information, one of the survivors underwent hypnosis. In this altered state of consciousness, they managed to provide a crucial piece of the puzzle, a license plate number. Astonishingly, this number was only a few digits away from the actual plate owned by Fernando. Armed with this new lead, law enforcement launched an extensive operation. Every man fitting the description and owning an orange pickup truck came under scrutiny. The dragnet was tightening, inching closer to the truth. This meticulous investigation ultimately led authorities to the FMC Corporation chemical plant where Fernando worked as a maintenance worker. On August 25th, 1980, they descended upon his workplace. At the sight of the approaching authorities, Fernando's instinct for flight kicked in. He attempted to flee, desperate to evade capture, but the relentless grip of justice closed around him, and he was swiftly apprehended and confined to the Fresno County Jail. Meanwhile, the grim discovery of Mary Booher's lifeless body sent shockwaves through the community. She was soon laid to rest beside her cousin in the solemn grounds of Fowler Cemetery. The wheels of justice turned swiftly. Fernando Caro faced a series of charges, including two counts of murder, assault with a deadly weapon, kidnapping, and attempted rape. The arrest of Fernando Caro marked a turning point in this harrowing tale. The man who had once appeared as an ordinary man was now the prime suspect in a brutal crime. But as the legal proceedings commenced, the community held its breath, seeking closure and justice for the victims, Mark Hatcher and Mary Booher. With his life hanging in the balance, Fernando Caro faced a daunting prospect of a potential death sentence. His legal journey through the courts would be marked by twists and turns that would ultimately alter his fate. Fernando's defense team, Recognizing the notoriety of the double murder and the extensive press coverage in the area, sought a change of venue. Their plea was granted, and the venue was relocated to San Jose, California. At a preliminary hearing, Richard Rick Donner and Jack Lucchesi took the stand, recounting their chilling encounter with Caro. Deputies who apprehended him recalled his admission that authorities were closing in, prompting him to shave his mustache and hide his truck in the garage. As the trial progressed, 
Fernando's attorney sought to separate the murder charges from Kern County, a request denied by Superior Court Justice Robert Mardikian. Prosecutors from Kern County had offered not to charge Fernando if he received a death sentence. Nevertheless, Fernando was found guilty of the murders and sentenced to death. Over the years, Fernando and his legal team launched multiple appeals aiming to have his sentence commuted. They argued that a traumatic childhood and exposure to pesticides while working at FMC Corporation had led to mental abnormalities. In 2002, his death sentence was overturned and a resentencing trial was ordered. Fernando's lawyers also attempted to secure a change of venue away from Fresno County, but their efforts were unsuccessful. The legal battles continued, leading to Fernando's resentencing to life imprisonment. For three long decades, the parents of Victoria de Santiago, Angelina, and Joe de Santiago carried the heavy burden of an unsolved mystery, the haunting question of who had taken their precious daughter and why. In the fall of 2009, DNA evidence emerged, pointing its weary finger directly at one man, Fernando Caro. Joe de Santiago, filled with mixed emotions, recalled the moment they received the call, recalling, it was a good, bad feeling, he confessed. Good that they found somebody, but bad because we're going to have to go through this all over again. Angelina de Santiago, her heart brimming with emotions, shared her gratitude, saying, My heart cannot describe how happy I feel. I'm just grateful for law enforcement and what they've done. As the puzzle pieces fell into place, Fernando, at the time 59 years old, was already serving a life sentence in San Quentin. The Fresno police chief at the time labeled Fernando a serial killer, declaring, We know that Fernando Caro has killed at least five children, and perhaps even more. Remarkably, technology that had faltered three times prior had evolved so dramatically that the fourth attempt left no doubt about the identity of Victoria's killer. The De Santiago murder mystery, shrouded in darkness for three decades, had finally seen the light of truth. The collaborative efforts of law enforcement aimed to bring closure to the victim's families and ensure that a perpetrator like Fernando faced justice for his heinous crimes. On January 28, 2017, Fernando was found dead. Located in San Quentin State Prison, he was discovered lifeless in his cell. Autopsy reports declared that he died of natural causes. You too can play a role in protecting children. For more information on how to educate your children in child abuse prevention for ages pre-K through high school, visit playitsafe.org. That's playitsafe.org.